Hello, I'm Michael Serapio, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Tonight on Primetime Politics, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Join us in the difficult discussions, because if you don't, who will? As Canada prepares to mark the national holiday for a second time in our history, we speak to Indigenous leaders about where they believe we are on the path to reconciliation. Coming up, we'll hear from Roseanne Archibald from the Assembly of First Nations and Cassidy Caron from the Métis National Council. Also. We're going to be there as partners uh, going forward. Prime Minister Trudeau is touring the Ile de la Madeleine. We'll speak to a local mayor about that visit and the damage that was left behind by Fiona. This is Primetime Politics. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Serapio. Tomorrow will mark the second annual day for Truth and Reconciliation. It is a holiday in direct response to a call for action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. A day to remember the many survivors of residential schools, to remember the children who never returned home, and to remember the legacy of these institutions. Tonight, we will hear from Indigenous leaders as we approach tomorrow's commemorations, beginning with Roseanne Archibald, the National Chief for the Assembly of First Nations. Chief Archibald, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, good to be here. Listen, uh, I want to begin with, if you will, your own reflections. What are you thinking of as we approach the second National Day for Truth and Reconciliation? I always have the survivors of those uh, institutions of assimilation and genocide. I don't call them schools anymore. Uh, I have them always in my mind and in my heart. Uh, you know, as I travel across Canada, I make an effort to stop at some of these former institutes and offer tobacco and pray for the thousands of little children who never made it home. And so as I think about this day, it's really for them or the ones who suffered and survived, and certainly for the ones who didn't make it home as well. Now, of course, uh, the Catholic Church ran about 70% of these institutions, and one of the TRC's calls to action was to get the Pope to apologize for residential schools on Canadian soil. That happened this past year, but of course, many people are aware that for many, the apology fell short. You've talked about that in the past. Why was the apology from the pontiff not enough? He didn't apologize um, for the church specifically. I mean, it's really the role of the church, the institution, and that that's what the TRC call to action is. It's for the role of the church in the genocide of um, against Indigenous peoples, First Nations people, Métis, Inuit. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't those specific words. Um, he did make an apology, and many survivors were really grateful for that. They wanted to hear the words, I'm sorry, and he said it several times, I'm very sorry, I, or I'm deeply sorry, I can't remember the words right now. Mm-hmm. But he did make, you know, an apology, and it was meaningful to some of the survivors, and others just didn't think it was enough. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I do wonder from your viewpoint, is that emblematic of where this country is when it comes to reconciliation, where moves are being made, but from the vantage point of some, perhaps you, it's still not enough? Well, there have been some forward movement on TRC calls to action, and but there have also been some real steps backward as well. You know, the the recent um, Supreme Court uh, matter regarding our children in the province of Quebec is a big step backward. Uh, the language bill in Quebec as well is a big step backward. Um, but we've had some forward movement. We have, uh, you know, the the actual flag, the survivor's flag, uh, now on Parliament Hill, and it has a home there. That's a step forward. And, uh, you know, there are just some, it's never like a, a big progress where we can say, oh, this year has been a monumental year. It's just always complex. It's uh, two steps forward, one step back. And, and maybe that's just the nature of reconciliation in this country. Uh, we've always said there has to be truth before reconciliation, and we certainly don't see enough of the truth-telling that has to happen uh, across this, across Turtle Island, across this country. Mm -hmm. Well, to pick up on that, uh, you did offer condolences to King Charles and the royal family after the passing of Queen Elizabeth, but you also said that while it's okay to grieve. It's also okay at the same time to hold institutions accountable, which I take is part of your reason for going to London to attend the funeral of the Queen. Yeah, you know, people, I think the problem that we're having right now, not only in Canada, but around the world, is the rise of populism. And populism really wants us to believe that the world is black and white, that we're either good or evil, um, that there isn't any, you know, shades of gray and that we can't hold two spaces at once. We can, you know, offer condolences and be respectful of a mourning period, but also say to the crown, you participated in genocide, you upheld genocide. Uh, colonization has been particularly destructive to First Nation families and communities. And we have to be able to hold these two spaces and have these kinds of complex conversations around reconciliation. And, you know, and that's what I would say this year is about is like, we really have to have these complicated conversations that aren't black and white, that, that people can begin to see the nuances of the existence of First Nations people and what we deal with on a daily basis and have been dealing with for hundreds of years. What would you like then from the political leadership in this country to essentially keep in mind on the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, thinking about where we are, the path we have taken to get here and the path forward? What would you like politicians to keep in mind? It's important for us to accelerate the the TRC calls to action. Governments, whether it's federal, provincial, municipal, other partners that are mentioned in the TRC report have to find a way to accelerate this work. At this stage, you know, we did a, um, a report card on what's been happening with the TRC calls to action. And at the rate we're at, it will take 40 years 
to implement all of the TRC calls to action, and that's just not acceptable. And so governments and partners have to figure out the path forward with us. And we talked about this, you know, when I was elected, we all, we're always talking about the healing path forward and how we can rebuild First Nation communities and have healing not only for our survivors and our intergenerational trauma survivors, but for all Canadians, for people who are who have become very empathetic and supportive of First Nation issues. It's time for us to work together to fulfill all of those calls to action. Mm -hmm. And before I let you go, you, you mentioned Canadians who are not in political leadership. What is your call for any non-Indigenous person in this country? What is your call on this second day, uh, the second annual National Day of Truth and Reconciliation? There is a small handbook on the TRC calls to action that they can likely get a copy of. Uh, through either the Government of Canada or the Centre for Truth and Reconciliation. And I would urge all Canadians to read all of the 94 calls to action. And I would also urge Canadians to call their MPs, their MPPs, their MLAs, their mayors, their council members, and say, what are you doing about reconciliation in this country or in this town or in this province. And I wanna see more. I want us to have truth and reconciliation and have that healing, not only for First Nations people, but for all families, because that's what these unmarked graves have done uh, in this country. It's awakened people to the idea that every child matters, that they can really understand, you know, the losses of children because they can, everybody loves their children, everybody mm -hmm. loves their grandchildren. And, and that's what I think we have to really begin to focus on. Chief Archibald, really appreciate our conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. Cassidy Caron is the president of the Métis National Council, and back in March, she was in Vatican City to meet the Pope. Now, she met Pope Francis once again when he made his historic apology on Canadian soil. Cassidy Caron joins us right now. Ms. Caron, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. So I begin with the pontiff because like the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, his journey really, uh, the journey to Canada, was also the result of the calls to action. I do wonder, months later, what do you make of that visit and the apology that was delivered? You know, I, I still on daily reflect on First and foremost, our, our journey over to the Vatican with residential school survivors. And then again, uh, Pope Francis's journey here to Canada. And every single day, I'm still struck, honestly, with how much work we have left to do. And I constantly remind those folks who I have these conversations with that, you know, reconciliation didn't begin and it didn't end with the Pope's apology. Uh, we have been advocating for healing and justice and reconciliation in our communities for so long now and you know a, a simple apology some words it was meaningful to many survivors but there's still an incredible amount of work to do within our communities and we have a long journey ahead of us and i truly i, I believe that reconciliation doesn't really have an end 
point that it is a journey and that mm-hmm. we will be working in this journey, these relationships for, for lifetime. That makes me wonder that because I, I wonder if you would agree as I've been thinking about it as well, would you agree that the visit was almost emblematic of the reconciliation process and that one can check off an action, but it's more than just really checking off a list that there needs to be deeper layers for it to really resonate. I, absolutely. I think, you know, the the 94 calls to action within the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, those are an incredible place to start. But it's not a checklist. It's not check off all of these boxes and then all of a sudden we've completed reconciliation and it's time to move on. I think that it's so important to constantly reassess and reevaluate our priorities um, it, within the Métis Nation, re- reassess what reconciliation means to our survivors, to our elders, to our young people, to community members, and constantly understand what it means. What does reconciliation mean? And so I don't believe that uh, by just checking the box that it ends here. I think, you know, we need to continuously find out what reconciliation means to our communities and then pursue pursue those those pathways. And what about non-Indigenous Canadians, uh, for those in government, those not in government? What is the next deeper layer? We've been engaging in this conversation. It has gained steam. But here we are on the second mm-hmm. national day. Where should non-Indigenous Canadians be looking to next, do you think? There's so much. You know, I really do think in this last year and a half, that at the year and a half mark coming from the the discovery, the uncovery of the 215 unmarked graves in Kamloops, there's been an incredible energy that has been building across this country. Conversations about Canada's true history, talking about the the truth before reconciliation, those conversations across Canada, but also across the globe. Those conversations are critically important to have so that people have the awareness of what this true history is, because we don't we can't know where we're going if if we don't know where we've come from. Mm-hmm. I I love the, the calls to action in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report because they are um, very uh, specific about who they are calling upon to create these changes. And, you know, a lot of them calling for the creation of of systemic change, which is needed. You know, in a lot of the work that we do, I like to think about change on three levels, symbolic change, substantive change, and systemic change. And until we get to systemic change in this country, we're still going to be able, we still will face these, these tragedies, these crises, these human rights abuses that continue to be that indigenous communities still continue to face today and so there's so much there's a role for everybody there's a role for canadians to play in understanding that history understanding the role that they can play in creating systemic change and really just trying to make this country a better place for everybody to live cassidy canal always so good to hear from you thank you for that thank you so much Mark Miller is the Minister for Crown Indigenous Relations. He joined us earlier to talk about the National Day, and I began our conversation by asking him where the minister thought we are on the path to reconciliation. You know, in a couple of ways, uh, you know, in the last three years as a minister, uh, two years during a global pandemic, um, you know, we've seen a lot of things move in real time. Obviously, 
with the need to keep people safe and alive, particularly indigenous communities, which were multiple times more vulnerable, uh, and how uh, how the federal government plays a role in supporting those, and how we broke down silos to make sure people would stay safe and alive. Um, that isn't that's more than a simple analogy. It's about a relationship, uh, a relationship that's built on trust. And when you talk about reconciliation, a, a precursor to that is is, is truth, uh, trust, uh, patience, all things that are the building blocks of a relationship. These are things that aren't necessarily linear, obvious, um, or or easy. And you know, as a government, we certainly made mistakes, but we've also made historical investments in indigenous communities to close socioeconomic gaps um, and to make sure that that really people are treated in a fair and equitable fashion uh, in order to do that and despite really investments that are significant in education infrastructure housing all things that have been highlighted by by report upon report none of this can be done without recognition of a relationship that has to be built on trust which is often thin and often been broken by um, by the government of Canada. So that recognition is important so that you can move to the next stage mm -hmm. and, and continue to you know, document and, and, and walk that path forward mm -hmm. in, mm -hmm. in that spirit of, of partnership. And too often things are decided by Ottawa. And if, if there's anything to learn by the pandemic is Indigenous communities with the support of Ottawa were able to protect their own in a better way than we could have done from an armchair can i jump in, in, in ottawa so yeah let me jump in there that's though, important because, to me yeah let me jump in there though because i think it is important uh that you, you you said that mistakes have been made uh, what mistakes are you talking about how have you learned from those mistakes well you know we've we, we did set a very ambitious agenda and i do give a tremendous amount of credit to the prime minister for example when it comes to boiled water advisories to say enough is enough it ends here and i think that was a shot to the civil service to all those that uh, live and work for the government of Canada to say um, you're going to get the financial resources to go out and work with communities and make sure that this ends. Uh, and, and with that kind of instructions, we've been able to lift uh, close to 80% of the boiled water advisories with the work from communities in order in, in order to do that. But certainly along the way, I think we've underestimated uh, needs inside of communities and needs that are connected um, and priorities of communities as we work and engage with them. We don't lift those water advisories. Uh, communities do and we don't tell them when and how to do them uh, so we also have to respect that pace and respect that there are things for example when you connect a water system to a 50 year old school the community is in their right to say well we need a new school and you may say well that isn't necessarily connected to long boiled water long-term water advisory but it sure as hell is and so those are realizations that we've had to make work in that spirit of respect with communities mm -hmm. it hasn't gone perfectly but I think we've been able to reorient things and make you know, significant investments in operations and maintenance of systems, building you know, community members up so they advance chemistry and math so they can operate those systems, yeah. as well as um, make, historical, make historical litigation uh, that has been brought against us stop at the negotiation table as opposed to advancing to, uh, to courtrooms, which mm -hmm. are not conducive. For you, you use the word pace, and uh, that... that brings me to my next point here because you, I did speak to Roseanne Archibald uh, and she was expressing some frustration when it comes to the pace at which the, the calls to action the TRC are being met. She, she says that at this rate it will be about 40 years before the calls to action are actually fulfilled. What do you say to that kind of frustration as we really focus back once again to the National Day? What do you say to the frustration uh, amongst those who believe that the calls to action need to be met much quicker than they are currently? 
Well, it's entirely understandable during, and I'm not making excuses for it, but clearly during the pandemic priorities did reorient to keep people safe and alive. Um, it doesn't mean we couldn't walk and chew gum and move forward on a number of things like the council, uh, the National Council on Reconciliation that uh, is now at third reading and will have an independent body that will be able to assess the pace um, as well as the, the answers to the calls to action, uh, including elements that don't fall within the government of Canada's purview, for example, the papal apology this summer. Um, there's a lot of elements that need to fall into place uh, at the same time, and, and those are things that we need to seize that opportunity to make reconciliation irreversible, but also the actions that we're taking to respond to those calls to action irreversible. They're not things that are necessarily fixed in time. When it comes to some painful, um, some painful matters that have really shocked the public conscience, like discovery of unmarked graves, uh, making sure we have the investments to fulfill a call to action 72 through 76. That's work that is not complete, but there's good financing in communities in about 91 to this date to make sure that um, communities that choose to do some searches have the financial ability to do so and the mental health supports to do so. Um, again, I can't speak to timelines, uh, but I know the work that our government does and the, and the emphasis that it's put on the political uh, the moral and the financial capital is put behind it, and I have confidence that we can move forward in partnership communities with communities to make sure that those, those calls are answered. Mr. Miller, thank you so much for answering our questions today. Really appreciate the time. Thank you, Michael. And for those who do find these conversations triggering, a reminder, there is help out there. You see on your screen right now the various organizations that you can call to get counseling. It's a pleasure to be back in uh, the Magdalen Islands. Uh, despite the circumstances, it was an opportunity to uh, connect with people and hear from business owners, uh, from fishers, uh, from seniors, uh, from uh, uh, citizens who uh, obviously went through uh, the same storm that uh, hit really hard in other parts of Atlantic Canada, uh, but at the same time uh, talking about how uh, we're going to be there as partners uh, going forward, uh, working with the province, working with municipalities, working with uh, individuals and, and uh, communities that need support. And that was the Prime Minister from earlier today continuing his tour of affected communities hit hard by post-tropical storm Fiona. Now today, Justin Trudeau was in the Ile-de-Madeleine, Quebec, a small group of islands that sit in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. And joining us right now is the Mayor of Ile-de-Madeleine, Gaetan Richard. Uh, Mayor Richard, thank you for taking the time. As well, you're welcome. Uh, I want to begin uh, with what Fiona has done to your community, because looking at it, it does not seem like the Ile de la Madeleine has taken on the same kind of damage that we saw, for example, in Cape Breton and PEI in Western Newfoundland. Just what kind of impact has Fiona had on your community? No, actually, that's right. Uh, likely we didn't get hit hard as uh, Newfoundland and uh, Prince Edward Island. Uh, most of our damage is uh, to the coastline. We had a lot of erosion to the coastline. We have some uh, damage to uh, some uh, infrastructure, road infrastructure. As you can see on the picture, so there's a road right close to the to the waterline that that's uh, some uh, some chalet, and that been hit pretty hard. Other than that, damage to uh, some houses, like roof blown away, uh, lots of lots of uh, flooding, 
But other than that, uh, you know, nobody got injured. So that's uh, that's the good news. So what kind of impact does that have on uh, your community economically in terms of getting by day to day? What has the damage done? Well, we're a small community uh, from the Lizinda land. So our biggest impact now is try to, uh, you know, make some work to protect our coastline. Every time we're uh, making a new project, uh, it costs millions of dollars. So when you get a small community like Les Îles de la Madeleine, uh, it's kind of hard on it's hard financially. It's really hard. That's why we need the help from uh, both sides of government, also uh, provincial and also federal government. Well, it's interesting. Uh, well, it's interesting you say that because, of course, the prime minister is there right now. Uh, what do you hope he sees? What do you hope to hear from the prime minister? Well, it was here. That's a good thing. You know, uh, the prime minister never came on the island for 50 years and, and a month and a half. He was here twice. So that's, that's, that's pretty good for our island. He came about a month ago to invest about $40 million on a uh, uh, fishing uh, fisherman port uh, harbor. So that was a good news. And well, of course, uh, he came for uh, after the storm. Uh, so what we expect is uh, the government of Canada to uh, be a partnership with the Quebec government to invest in those major projects of uh, erosion uh, here on the island. Uh, mostly that's what we need. We need to prevent uh, disaster. And that's basically what we did at this time. We're well organized here on the island. We're used to face those kind of storm. Uh, we have an emergency intervention plan that is up to date and is like really accurate. So that's what, you know, safe uh, from being uh, hit uh, too hard. Okay, uh, Gaetan Richard, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Bye-bye. On Monday, CPAC will have special coverage of the Quebec vote, and on that evening, we will find out who will form the next provincial government. But given the lead that François Legault and his coalition Avenir Quebec have had in the polls, perhaps the real race to watch is the one for official opposition. With more ahead of the last weekend of campaigning, here is CPAC's Catherine Lafrance. Hi, Michael. So um, we'll see uh, if Quebecers engaged in this election. It's not over till it's over, of course. So we'll see next Monday how many Quebecers are actually going to the polling stations. But we've had the advanced voting last Sunday and Monday. And even if we don't have the exact numbers yet in terms of participation, we know it's been very popular. We've seen lineups and lineups at the polling stations. What we can say is Quebecers, generally speaking, seem to engage in this campaign. They've watched the, the leaders' debates. They've commented on them. Of course, it's all over the news every day and people talk about it. So you feel there's an interest and maybe a growing one even, although a lot of people don't know yet who they'll vote for, which is interesting. Um, and no wonder this interest. There's an urgency on so many levels, uh, so many issues beginning with the climate crisis. Interestingly enough, just to give you an idea how, how serious this issue can be, there was a march, a protest on this particular issue here in Montreal last Friday. Many people, young people attended it. A few of the Coalition Avenir Québec candidates, including the former environment minister, showed up eventually got booed. So it gives you the idea. But also there's health system, education, all issues uh, that have I would say, or people here would say, to be um, addressed and eventually fixed. So we'll see. We'll see. It's next Monday, so it'll be interesting to watch for sure.
Catherine, thank you very much. And that is our program for this evening. I'm Michael Serapio. For everyone here at Primetime Politics, thanks for joining.